0: Hey, listeners! We have a very rare opening for an associate sound designer mixer here at Defacto Sound. That's my sound design studio and the studio behind Twenty Thousand Hertz. To learn more, visit jobs.defactosound.com. This application window closes on May twenty-second. Now, onto the show. You're listening to Twenty Thousand Hertz. When you wanna know the answer to a question, any question, what do you do? You might text a friend, maybe open a book, but let's be honest, you probably just Google it. And why not? It's an easy shortcut to an immediate answer. The internet never fails you, right? Except when it does. And that's what happened to British journalist Amelia Tate when she Googled the origin of a particular sound. Now, this is a sound you will definitely recognize. It's used to emphasize dramatic moments in cartoons and movies and musicals, most often as a gag. And Amelia wanted to know where this sound originally came from. But Google... didn't have an answer.
1: So it started for me when I was watching an episode of Bob's Burgers. That's Amelia. And it had this sound effect. Dun, dun, dun! So I was like, huh, where exactly did this sound come from? And I Googled it.
0: Well, I'm curious what search terms you did immediately. Like, did you immediately think, dun,
1: dun, dun? Right, so, first of all, I guess the problem is like, how do you write dun, dun, dun? Some people write dum, dum, dum. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people write da, da, da. I think I'm a dun, dun, dun purist.
0: I'm a dun, dun, dun purist too. It's dun, dun, dun.
1: Yeah. The two short duns and then the one many you had done at the end. Uh, and I Googled, where did it come from? And to my surprise, because this rarely ever happens, there was nothing. Wow. I mean, there were forum posts, there were Reddit posts, there were Quora posts, but there was nothing official.
0: You found something not Googleable. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> right, which is kind of a reporter's dream, I think.
0: Yeah. So Amelia did what any good journalist would do when faced with an unanswered question. She set out to answer it. She started by thinking back to where she might have first heard the sound.
1: I can't remember the first time I heard a dun-dun-dun. I definitely remember it being common in cartoons and sitcoms when I was a kid. Things like Spongebob Squarepants and The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air.
2: I'm going to Berkeley to give my lecture.
1: Oh,
3: you are? When are you coming
1: back?
2: Tomorrow night. Now, while I'm gone, I want you to do everything your Uncle Philip says.
3: (laughs) Yo, Viv, wait, wait, Viv, don't leave me here
1: Although Google couldn't tell me exactly where Dun 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 came from, various forum users said that the sound was something called a sting. Are you familiar with what a sting is?
0: Yeah. So I think of a sting as like the end of a phrase or some sort of punctuation of a phrase. And I kind of imagine it as being something that would have been done in radio, you know, when radio was like the main form of entertainment. Right. And then there's all these these little like musical things that would happen just to kind of nudge you to go, hey, you should feel that.
1: That's exactly right. I mean, it's a piece of punctuation, a piece of musical shorthand that communicates an emotion really rapidly.
0: Here's a good one from a 1940s radio drama called The Mysterious Traveler.
3: Stephen! No! No!
1: Stings can punctuate a gag. Or something mysterious, or even set up a blissful domestic scene. Today, Dun 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 is more of a parody sting. It usually communicates comedy, not genuine suspense. But when I reached out to radio historians to trace the origin of the sound, they told me it was once used in radio dramas to legitimately shock and excite listeners. In those early days, it really did have that powerful effect that could make you kind of shudder. Which I don't know about you, it's kind of hard for me to imagine because we're so used to it as a parody sound, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But back in, I don't know, the 40s or something, I can imagine shock and... (gasps) (laughs) Right after it.
1: Right, yeah. But who exactly was the first radio producer to use Dun 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 on air? None of the radio historians I reached out to had an exact answer. Though one pointed me towards Suspense, a horror show broadcast on CBS Radio from 1942 to 1962. This is the opening of its very first episode.
0: The Columbia Network takes pleasure in bringing you... Suspense.
1: And three minutes in, this little bit of drama happens.
0: It was a picture of a young woman,
2: and under it had been printed, Famous Poisoner Marie Dobré, 1676. Ted Stevens was looking at a picture of his own wife.
1: slightly more like a ba 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 than a dun-dun-dun. But either way, it wasn't one of the world's first. Media professor Richard Hand told me that radio dramas weren't always cutting edge. They borrowed tropes that already existed in other popular media, i.e. stage melodramas. Melodramas are highly sensationalized, highly emotional plays that often focus on a straightforward battle between good and evil, usually with a ton of musical cues.
0: So I'm thinking almost like piano players in a theater type of Era,
1: Exactly, yeah. So there'd be someone playing these stings or these big organ movements live in the theater. Like somebody's tied to a railroad tracks Mm -hmm. and there's some jaunty little music that's kind of making you tense. All of those things that came from melodrama were basically borrowed by the radio or imported to kind of just make the listeners be more comfortable and be more familiar with what they were listening to. But while Radio clips can easily be found on YouTube, it's much harder to track down melodrama's dun-dun-duns, let alone the very first one.
2: The very first dun-dun-dun. The holy grail of dun-dun-duns. I don't know whether that's something we can ever track down.
1: That's Patrick Feaster, co-founder of the First Sounds Initiative, an organisation which hunts down the earliest ever sound recordings.
2: On the one hand, we think it's worthwhile to be able to listen back as far in time as we can. And on the other hand, I think it helps us understand more about the history of sound recording, uh, where this miracle of being able to record and playback sound came from, what people have done with it at different times, and all of that.
1: But Patrick thinks that the world's 1st done then done probably wasn't recorded at all.
2: My guess is maybe it happened with some theater orchestra in some obscure little theater out in the Midwest or the Far West someplace with an audience of 50 people from some local town, a touring vaudeville troupe out there. (laughs) And uh, nobody ever thought to write it down. Nobody remembered it. It could have happened there, someplace like that.
1: So would it ever be possible to track down the very first Dun Dun Dun?
2: Of course there are scores, I assume, for the music accompanying stage melodramas, but <laughs> just playing a stinger chord doesn't require a whole lot of <laughs> arrangement uh, ahead of time. It's not like an extended piece of music, so that, you know, that could be something that was just worked out between the conductor and the orchestra. They might never have even uh, written it down.
0: So you hopped in a time machine and went back to 1888.
1: So I hopped in a time machine, yes, yeah. And I I put my microphone to the mouths of the melodrama going public.
0: They were like, what is this? And then they put you in
1: jail. Yes, yeah. Which I'm I'm still there. I'm awaiting execution. (laughs) We might have to wait for a time machine to truly get the answer to this question. Without a time machine, the very first dun-dun-dun might be lost. But Patrick helped me dig around for some early examples of recorded versions of The Sting.
2: I knew that there was a subgenre of parodies of stage melodrama.
1: Remember our damsel in distress tied up on the railroad tracks?
2: Plays like this were very popular back around the the late 19th century, early 20th century. And they were very popular, but people also already recognized that they were a little bit overblown. And and so people back then already liked to make fun of them. And there had been a number of recordings that people made uh, specifically to poke fun at the melodrama.
1: Hunting for a dun-dun-dun, Patrick looked at these recordings. He listened to one from 1896 and another from 1905, but found nothing.
2: But then there was this third recording, Desperate Desmond, by Fred Dupree, recorded in 1912. Desperate Desmond is a parody of melodrama that presents itself as a session where the author of a melodrama is working with a musical director to figure out what music they're going to play at specific critical points during the unfolding of the drama.
1: This morning, gentlemen, our efforts will be confined to arranging the necessary chills and feeble music for my new drama, Desperate Esma. And it's this comedian making fun of all these tropes. Enter the villain! Not on a horse, just on his feet. Did you notice that dun? Enter the villain. There are others peppered throughout the clip. The villain enters, sees the girl seated there, and says to her, woman, be mine. Now, these were only single or double duns, not triple duns, not full-blown dun-dun-duns.
0: They didn't realize the power of a third dun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Right, which is slightly disappointing. You know, I wanted my three-done holy grail. Mm -hmm. But what Patrick kind of extrapolated from this and pointed out was that it must have been so entrenched in the culture at that point to invite parody. And possibly the third done came along because that's even more simpler shorthand, right?
0: The
2: three notes are much more likely to be recognizable as... Uh, a conscious attempt to play on this, this stinger chord as uh, an overused convention. Uh, if you just do it dun-dun, maybe nobody will be sure if you're making fun of it or not. But if you do all three dun-dun-dun, well, everybody knows what you're getting at.
1: So already, by 1912, dun stings were so commonplace that people parodied them. But let's go further back. Back to those 19th century Midwestern theatre halls where the sound genuinely did provoke an emotional response. What exactly is it about a done, a done, and a lingering done that can be so provocative?
3: It's based on the interval of a tritone to flattened fifth, which is known as the devil's interval.
1: That's Dick Walter, a composer with over 50 years of experience making music.
3: It's the interval in Western music that denotes tension. It's the one interval which is unresolved and is unsatisfactory. Obviously, that interval has been around for centuries and has been a characteristic of tense music.
1: In medieval times, Catholic officials supposedly found the tritone so unsettling that they labelled it the devil in music and banned its use in religious compositions. As it turns out, that's
3: probably a myth but it's always been used as the interval that will create tension.
1: Harmonically, the tritone sits right between a perfect fourth and a perfect fifth. But while those intervals are harmonious and pleasant, the tritone sounds very dissonant, at least to Western ears. You can hear it in this version of the Dun Dun Dun. Most of the time, when you hear a tritone, it's only played for a brief second before the notes change into something more harmonious.
3: Sometimes that interval resolves very quickly, and the two examples that I always think of are Maria from West Side Story. Maria. And then the other one is the start of the Simpsons TV thing. So those two songs, there's a momentary moment of tension. And it resolves. The melody goes up a semitone to perfect fifth. And that is an instant resolution.
1: In its most common form, the dun-dun-dun does the opposite. Rather than putting the tritone in the middle and quickly resolving it, it ends on the tritone. Without a resolution, The Devil's Interval leaves the listener tense, hence the dramatic power of a dun-dun-dun. But Dick Walter isn't just an expert on tritones. He isn't just a composer with decades of experience. His connection to the dun-dun-dun goes far deeper. That's coming
3: up after the break.
0: Congratulations to William Ito for getting last episode's mystery sound right. Toasty! That was an easter egg from Mortal Kombat 2. It's actually the voice of the game's composer, Dan Forden. Forden would appear every time a player performed a vicious uppercut. Round three, fight. Get over here! Ouch. Ouch. Oof. sub-zero wins. Flawless victory. And here's this episode's mystery sound. If you know what that sound is, submit your guess at the web address mystery.20k.org. Anyone who guesses it right will be entered to win a super soft 20,000 Hertz t-shirt. When I think about hiring, it just seems like it's more work, more stress, and more pressure. But here's how Indeed takes away all that worry— Indeed is the world's number one matching and hiring platform with over 350 million visitors every month. Indeed cuts out the work of hiring with smart AI technology that helps you find the right candidate quickly. It takes the stress out of the process with scheduling, screening, and messaging all in one place. So you know exactly what you're up to in the hiring process because Indeed keeps track of everything for you. Then Indeed relieves the pressure of choosing the right person. That's because their skill tests give you the confidence that you've got the right candidate. So now when you think of hiring, don't think of all those negatives. Just think of Indeed. To try Indeed for yourself with a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility, visit Indeed.com Hertz. Just go to Indeed.com Hertz right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Hertz. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. NetSuite has simple solutions for complicated business problems. For example, let's say you open a bakery. Before long, your hotcakes are selling like, well, hotcakes. But you keep running out of ingredients. No problem, because not only can NetSuite automate your purchasing so you're never out of stock, but it can also check that your staff have the right training to make those hotcakes to perfection. Mm. NetSuite can even handle online orders so your hotcakes can really take off. Having one system handling all of this saves both time and money. And if there's two things we all want more of, it's time and money. Okay, so three things if you include hotcakes. That's probably why more than 37,000 businesses have already signed up for NetSuite by Oracle. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com 20K now to take advantage of this offer. That's netsuite.com two zero K. NetSuite.com slash 20k.
1: Since the Victorian era, music directors have been using dramatic dun-dun-duns to accentuate shocking moments in their productions. And with the advent of radio and film, duns became even more common. By the early 20th century, these stingers were already such a cliche that they were used as gags in comedic recordings like Desperate Desmond. The villain, not to be baffled, says what you refuse me, but I say you must and shall be mine. But in the 30s and 40s, radio dramas like Suspense took Dun 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 back to its sinister roots. in 1940, a variation of it was used in Disney's Fantasia to punctuate a dramatic dinosaur death. In mid-century television and film, the sound became a parody again, culminating in 1974's comedy-horror Young Frankenstein. Might recognise that version of the sting as one that underscores a 2007 viral video, where a chipmunk dramatically turns to look at the camera. But in the modern world, one dun 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 recording is so good that producers use it over and over again. If you hear the sound today on the radio or on TV, it's likely you're hearing one specific recording from 1984. What you've just heard is a recording known as Shock Horror A. And it turns out the person who composed that recording was none other than our guest, Dick Walter.
3: It's it's funny, isn't it? That I've actually been, to put it pompously, a professional composer for 50 years and I've done loads of different things. And yet it's Shock Horror A that is the one that stimulates all the interest. Shock Horror A? Mm Mm-hmm. He must
0: have had the instinct spot on, because I'm so curious if B was a big step down from this one.
1: Well, funny you should mention that, because I have Shock Horror B right here. It's fine, sure, but Shock Horror A is the recording that became a classic. In 1983, Dick was asked to compose a whole suite of musical stings and sound effects for a sound library called KPM Music. Remember this? And this? Dick composed them all. They were part of a collection known as the Editor's Companion. It was four vinyl records of compositions that were sold to producers who needed short
3: musical cues. The editor's companion was, uh, <laughs> it's a sort of poison chalice, because do you really want to write lots and lots of very short pieces of music which maybe will never get used? If you write a piece of music that lasts 15 seconds, you've still got to have an idea. So in some ways, writing a very short piece isn't that much easier than writing a long piece.
1: But fortunately for Dick, there was one particular piece that sound editors started grabbing onto. It was our favourite little stinger, Shock Horror A. Over the years, this exact recording has been used everywhere. Computer, do you hear me? Hello, Master
0: Boost.
3: Hi, Squidward! Want to play hide-and-seek? Come on,
2: Roseanne, what are we going to do about this 1099? I ain't no mood for an audit.
1: Sure, there are some exceptions. Take this scene from Muppets Haunted Mansion. So, let me make sure I got this.
2: Uh, We just have to survive the night in this haunted mansion. Uh,
1: No, that's too many dun duns. But Shock Horror A is the undisputed champion. Introducing Kellogg's Crave, (laughs) a totally
2: different breed of chocolate cereal. Chocolate will never be safe again. Uncle Jesse, can you help me with these shoes? I don't know whether to use a shoehorn or the jaws of life. <laughs> All right, come up here. You ready? One, two, three.
0: Okay, so you found the person who made our quintessential Dun Dun Dun. So there's got to be inspiration for that. Like, he's got, he must have been like, okay, this is my A game. This is the number mm-hmm. one shock, suspense track. You know, it's going on vinyl. I've got to make sure this is what people are going to want to listen to on their turntables. Right. So there must be some sort of like inspiration for that.
1: Exactly. So I asked Dick, you know, where did this come from? How did you even kind of begin to come up with this little phrase that could be used over and over again? And he told me, well, he mentioned the devil's interval.
3: It's all based on that devil's interval.
1: And he mentioned that he liked jazz, and the Devil's Interval comes up in jazz.
3: The beboppers, the modern jazz beboppers of the late 1940s, Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and those guys. The biggest characteristic of that music was the Flattened Fifth.
1: But he told me that his mother was an amateur pianist who loved to play Victorian
3: melodrama. My mother was an amateur pianist and she used to play for amateur dramatic groups. The legacy from her was sort of Victoriana and melodrama. Oh, how about that?
1: Yeah, so it all connects. So Dick's 1980s track can, in a way, be traced back to the 1880s. But Of course, when he was composing, he had no idea that any of the pieces in The Editor's Companion would ever catch on. How do you feel about the fact that it has become so popular and is so enduring?
3: I'm flattered. I I I mean, it's great. What's nice is that it, it works. You know, if you get asked to do something, somebody says, write a thing, a piece of music that does the following, and then over the next 10, 20 years, you find it's being used for exactly that purpose. That's very nice because it means you've done the job. There are three things you can get out of the music. One is money, which we all hope for. The second one is an ego massage. And the third one is fun. And if you get a job where all three things come your way, that's amazing, I mean, that's, that's heaven. It was a lot of fun. And it's jolly nice when people say to you, oh, can we talk to you on a podcast about Shock shock or four and a half seconds?
1: So what makes this particular version of the Dun 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 so effective? Dick thinks it might be because it features a live orchestra of 30 to 40 people who he conducted for the recording.
3: I think the fact that it's orchestral, it's live players... I think does make a difference, because it's that quality which I think makes something timeless. I'm not suggesting it sounds remotely contemporary, and it's not that it sounds out of date, it just is timeless because you have a a very good recording of very good players playing something properly, you know, with, um, with conviction.
1: Still, no matter how well the orchestra plays it, that doesn't mean people are going to take Dun 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 seriously today. I just cannot imagine it ever being used legitimately again to actually make us feel shock and horror. Um, Do you feel the same way?
0: Not in the same vibe. Maybe like if it was just slowed down significantly. Mm. Like the flow of it was just much more slow, but I can't imagine it ever playing in a serious role again. And I would be happy to challenge horror and suspense directors to do that.
1: Yes, let's put that out there as a challenge. Please use a genuinely frightening (laughs) dun-dun-dun. So we took our search for the first dun-dun-dun all the way back to the dawn of recorded sound, but that still wasn't early enough, because this musical phrase seems to have begun before the first musical recordings were ever made. The mystery of the dun-dun-dun is a lingering one, exactly like the final note of the phrase itself. There are undoubtedly more dun-dun-duns out there in just the archives waiting to be uncovered, but the very first one may just be beyond our reach.
0: And if someone out there listening has a functional time machine that can get you back (laughs) to about 1850 uh, or so, actually, I don't know when, like theaters and stuff, you probably want to like plop down in New York, probably in the late 1800s would be a good start. But then they'd be probably be like, well, I heard this in England when I was a child, and then, you know, then you have to go to those. Right. It's a lot of travel, which is difficult back then. Um, it, it, that's if the time machine can kind of put you wherever you want, or if it just like plops right back down. Yeah,
1: that's interesting. And in
0: exactly where you're at, which would be incredibly inconvenient
1: mm-hmm.
0: if if the time machine did it that way.
1: So we need a time-slash-teleportation machine.
0: And on top of that, we're flying through the universe. So like even the same spot that was one second ago is like a million miles away in the (laughs) middle of space. So it's just really complicated to make this happen. Oh,
1: that's too much for my brain.
0: But if someone has figured out that entire thing, I really want to know where these dun-dun-duns originated from.
1: Same. I want to know the very first one. So we'll wait for that.
0: (laughs) We'll wait for that. 20,000 Hertz is hosted by me, Dallas Taylor, and produced out of the sound design studios of DeFacto Sound. Hear more by following DeFacto Sound on Instagram.
1: This episode was written and produced by Amelia Tate. And Casey Emerlin. With help from Sam Reinbold.
0: It was sound designed and mixed by Jai Berger. Thanks to our guests, Patrick Feaster and Dick Walter. To learn more about Patrick's First Sound initiative, visit firstsounds.org, or click the link in the show description. You can find Dick Walter's compositions anywhere you get your music. To learn more about his work, visit dickwalter.co.uk. Here at 20,000 Hertz, we've made several other episodes about classic sounds that have been used again and again. We did one about the Wilhelm scream, one about the Dies Irae, and more recently, one about the waterphone. If you haven't heard those, go check them out. And if there's one you've heard and love already, tap the share button and send it to someone you know will love it too. Thanks for listening.